to another episode of FinTech Walkabout, joined today by Winston from Goldman Sachs, actually. We're going to be exploring the world of FinTech as we usually do, the focus on open banking, but this would be great to get just a, a quick intro from yourself, please. Yeah, so hi, Winston Pearson, head of, head of open banking at Goldman Sachs Transaction Bank. Yeah, been at Goldman Sachs for nine months now, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Previously was at FinTech uh, called Access Pay for three and a half years, and before then, nine years at another bank, BNY Mellon, so yeah, quite, a, quite a banking history. So how did the transition to go from FinTech to, to Big Bank, how was that? Yeah, it wasn't too bad actually, because we're Goldman Sachs Transaction Bank, and I always put the Transaction Bank in there, or TXB as it's, as sure. it's known internally, they're almost like a, a FinTech within a bank, mm-hmm. um, and so the culture wasn't too much of a, a shock when we got there. Of course, there are a lot more you're being polite. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely more, you know, compliance, internal audit. Mm. You don't really see those things in a fintech, as, as you know. It's don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah. So, so I think <laughs> it's these things like that and committees that that is the big difference and was a bit of a culture shock. Okay. So as you mentioned, you've worked across investments, you've worked across payments, with PM, was it, and in access pay, and now moved into Goldman to focus on open banking. Could you just give us some insights into kind of what influenced? The decisions between you know going into access and then from access to, to Goldman. Yeah, I mean initially I went into Access Pay because well I've been at a bank. You become a bit indoctrinated and sure a, a bit a distant from the real world. Went to Access Pay and my previous jobs at BNY Mellon were product manager in liquidity management. Okay, so he's building internal cash management and platforms and systems for the bank itself. Access Pay were doing the same, but for corporates. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. That sounds, yeah. that sounds like me. Plus, it's a fintech, so it's one of those. Oh, take the risk. <laughs> will you know? Will it? Will it become something? Will it not? Yeah. Um, so learn so much there as as a product manager. And then before joining Goldman Sachs, we actually were. I was speaking to Goldman Sachs and and their consultants with regards to open banking, and that's because the one of the last things that I launched at Access Pay previously was introducing open banking into their product. Okay. So we had this cash management product, it was connected to all of the banks via the historic legacy rails like SWIFT or SFTP, um, and we looked at this open banking product and, and feature and I was like, yeah, this, could, this has got value here, this has got value to our customers. So we introduced open banking into their product, which made it real time, it yeah. got all the benefits of open banking into a product. And then when speaking to Goldman Sachs, they were actually trying to build out or design their open banking proposition at sure. that point in time. And what point in time was that? Because we're talking, you know, open banking's been around. Yeah, for years, so right? this was the end of 2020. Okay. Because we were, we were Goldman Sachs at the time, TXP, were moving into the UK. Yeah. And they were their UK launch date was June 2021. And so at the 2020 phase, they were doing all of the, ide- the ideation, they were trying to figure out, okay, what, what is it that we build? Um, so they reached out and said, okay, as a TPP in the market, as part of their market engagement, how would you want to interact with us as a bank? Yeah. And it was at that point where I was like, these guys know what they're doing, realised that the ideologies aligned in terms of what open banking should be, and also how you would launch a new transaction bank in the UK, yeah. which would be different and could differentiate against the incumbents. That's a pretty broad scope, right? It's something I was planning on touching on later, but we're here, so let's talk about it. Goldman's kind of more retail, let's say, presence in the UK, obviously relatively new to your point. What are those kind of, what are the big value propositions that you're focusing on through that? You know, you've got payments, you've got deposits, escrows, you know, 
what are you looking at? Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. So the banking's a yeah, it's a huge, right? Do, right? Agreed, agreed. So we're launching in the UK, or we've launched in the UK, and we're launching in Europe. And initially, that is two twofold. One is as a transaction bank to large corporates. Okay. Um, and the other one is as a banking as a service or embedded finance player to mm. platforms or fintechs, so that they can consume, uh, or so that they deliver the banking products, the online banking products, to the to their customers who are primarily going to be SMEs. At least that, that's who we're targeting. So we'll never own that SME relationship. We'll always go via a partner. On the consumer side, we're, we're not going there at yeah. all. So yeah. we're we're veering away from that. What are the products that we're offering? We we initially um, launched escrow. I think it's an easier one to, to, to start with. Escrow, global payments, so that's you know just executing payments on behalf of, of our customers. Yeah. But then we're also offering deposit uh, deposit accounts, as you as you said. And from that, we're saying, okay, well, what else can we overlay, which is either our own solutions or more importantly, other vendor solutions, so fintech solutions, which can differentiate to what other banks are doing in the market. Because we know we're not the best people at coming up with great technology ideas. At the end of the day, we might be a new transaction bank, but we're still a bank. Uh, and so a big part of our philosophy um, and the value propositions will be driven from our own customers. So yes, we, we go to them with our standard bank propositions, you know, the payments, the escrow, so on and so forth. Yeah. But then by working with our customers, we're now saying, well, what is it that you want? What do you want to deliver to your customers? And how can we help you in that? Sure. Okay. This might tie in quite nicely to what my next question was going to be around just that transition of kind of more traditional methods of let's say well i was going to talk through like data collection screen scraping but but also you know, banking as a service this is a, a relatively new mm -hmm. concept that even the likes of the challenge banks the starlings of the world are, mm -hmm. are starting to launch and you know what kind of lessons have you taken from let's drive example from things like marcus yeah and how has that progression been reflected in the products that you're working on yeah, I think because we didn't have that legacy screen scraping, we were really fortunate that we didn't have to sure. worry about getting rid of all of that and say, okay, we need to transition from old to new. Mm -hmm. And so we start now with API first, API native, has its own challenges, right? Because yeah. you say, well, what are the standards? Well, you have ISO 20022 and you can say, okay, this is the standard of, of creating either the best RESTful API, the best payment specific in you know, ISO 20022, yeah. um, the camps and the pain messages. Um, and putting that into an API, really what we learned was to a degree with APIs and banking as a service, you have to disregard the standards to a, to a point. And while standardization is the ultimate goal, mm. actually it's optimization. It's, it's also understanding what do the end customers want? You know, what, what's the value proposition you're delivering to those customers? And therefore, how do you enable that? And so what we find is we start with a really standard API set and then you start to tweak and customize and optimize, as you say, to deliver the ultimate value proposition, the ultimate user experience to our customers and therefore then, then on to, to their customers. Okay. So would you say that kind of regulatory requirement or landscape has is, is acted more as a foundation for what you're trying to build here? Is it, you know, how has that influenced? Yeah, so, so the interesting thing about uh, GSTXB is that the APIs that were designed and built were done independently of the UK open banking designs uh, and implementation standards. When we've come to the UK, it was my job to say, okay, well, these are the UK standards, let's, let's build these APIs, very specific APIs to the standards. But then to look back across and say, what do we already have? And how can we take some of what we've got in UK open banking and start to 
to put that in with our banking as a service or embedded finance proprietary APIs. I'll give the example of giving consent by OAuth. So previously, the premium APIs that we have, you would always need to have um, the certificate exchange, you would need to have the private public key combinations, it would all be a one week onboarding as an example. And this is the case with most of the banks, especially in the US, where since being alive in open banking, we can do OAuth, consumers give consent via their online banking credentials. Yeah. So why can't we take that user experience where someone can be set up in 15 minutes, even less, and take that to our premium APIs and start delivering that to our partners and our users of our premium APIs. So that's something we're actually working on at the moment is delivering that. Okay, so yeah, it's applying that kind of methodology across an extension of, of those products, I suppose. Yeah. And then I think I've asked this question a few times to various people who've come on already, whether they've come from like a regulatory perspective or banks or fintechs. And I think for me, maybe outside looking in isn't, isn't the right phrase, but commercialization can be kind of a contentious topic yeah. sometimes. And we talk about the challenge of banks like now having to make some money yeah. to prove the business model out that they've gone on this massive user acquisition campaign. What avenues do you see in which the industry can kind of capitalize on that? Because you know, you, you talked about premium APIs, you talked about banking as a service, but you've also talked about this like foundation mm -hmm. layer that the likes of true layers and tokens and tanks of the world are trying to monetize and are, are monetizing. So what does that look like for yeah, so I think it depends on which part of the ecosystem you sit in. Yeah. So, you know, what does commercialization mean? I think with the, the banks, AS, the ASPSPs, being told that you cannot commercialize these APIs, all, the, all that was was actually you can't charge access to these APIs and, and people took offense. Oh, well, we, we need to put all this development spend into building something and we can't actually commercialize it. Yeah. I would disagree with the, the people that would say that from banks, say that, if you're starting out and you're saying, well, I'm giving people access to my services and making access easier, mm. the services that they're accessing are already commercialized, they're already scalable. It's things like payments, savings, um, information, right? And, and whilst you can say, okay, well, you can't charge for that data, most banks currently do charge for that yeah. through other methods. And even though they're not allowed to charge for that now, should they ever have been charging for that data in the first place? Mm. It's the data of you. And if, if I said to you, you went, oh, I just need to check my bank balance, and I said, give me a five and I'll tell it you, you'd be like, get out of it. It's those the cash machines that charge me to withdraw cash. I ain't using them. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, yeah I mean, obviously, it was the last time I used a cash machine. Yeah. Well, yeah, fair point. And, and so I do believe it, it depends you know, who you are in the ecosystem. For, for the banks, I think the investment in building the infrastructure of making the APIs available, that was an investment. I think the word there is investment. And the way they commercialize is actually by offering more services through these APIs, making these services easier to onboard with. Do you think that starts to disintermediate them though, and starts to become kind of this, more of an ethereal relationship for, between customer and bank, or do you think that will help them actually get closer to those users? I, it, it will disintermediate them to a degree, mm. but ultimately, why do banks have relationship managers for consumers, for SMEs, because if I didn't need to have a bank, I probably wouldn't have one, right? If I could just, if I could just go around and buy stuff with technology, no bank, in, no bank actually in my mind, would it matter to me? No, so long as I had my protection of cash, 
Um, so my you know, deposit guarantee schemes and the likes, I could execute the payments that I wanted. The charges where they are applied weren't significant. Do I ultimately care who the bank is? If you ask consumers, if you ask somebody old, they probably say yes. Yeah. I want it to be Lloyd's, I want it to be Abbott, I want it to be one of the, yeah. old, the old guys. Sure. But if you ask anybody yeah. your age, there you go. Uh, and I, I think I'm teetering on both. <laughs> where, where, where I still, have, I, me, I yeah. still have that bank account that I've had since I was 16 years old. Sure, yeah. But I also have the new Neo Banks and Challenger Bank accounts. I have those cards in my wallet. Yeah. Cards is another thing, right? That's, that's another conversation. So, so yeah, I think it depends. Yes, they are disin disintermediated. That's probably a good thing. It's a good thing for us as consumers anyway. And for the banks, it should be a good thing for them as well because they need to focus on what they do well. Yeah. And that's the infrastructure. That's actually just executing their payments. So there's a big trust piece in that, right? The banks, although you might not necessarily like them, you have stuck around since you were 16 yeah, years yeah. old, right? So there is an element of kind of intrinsic trust that comes with and I do believe, yeah, and I believe that comes from the balance sheets more than anything, mm. and and the the actions of regulators and government in the past, when push came to shove, my money was safe. Now at the time, I was far too young to have any money that yeah, <laughs> that, sure. that, that yeah. was meaningful, right? Yes, yeah. I was what seventeen, eighteen. But the the government and the regulators said, okay, well, we're gonna we're not gonna let them fail. If we look at a neo bank and we look at their balance sheets, and if some of them are classed as going concerns. Would the government let them fail? Probably the same way they let energy firms fail. Sure. Right, and, and I think that's one of the that's one of the considerations in this, is that so long as underlying, I feel that the money is safe and my money is safe. I would use I would use those. So then, how do those guys start to commercialise this thing of open banking? And again, charging me to view all of my balances, and this is from some of the challenges that the TPPs, yeah. right? Charging me to view my balances isn't going to cut it. You need to deliver value to me. If I, as a consumer, start receiving value in what they're offering in the services, I'll pay for it. And I think that's the key, is that how do they deliver value? So do you kind of see a consolidation of all of these different value propositions, let's say, into something that's not a bank, not a financial institution? Then? Yeah. The super app? Yeah, ultimately, ultimately yes, I do. And the reason for that, I think the proof is in the pudding that we started this by saying, well, how do we look to commercialize? And what value propositions are we bringing to, you know, to our customers? And my response was, we, we look at vendors, we look at fintechs in the marketplace, and we try to align what value they deliver mm. to the requirements of our customers. I think the, the best way to do that is by packaging it all up, having a super app, as you say, and delivering that to, to customers, and that might take many different guises. You might end up white labeling front ends of TPPs, of, of the fintechs, all the fintechs might just own that entire experience and the banks be the silent invisible partners. Sure, sure they'd love that. <laughs> but that's, I guess, part of what you're doing, right, with this banking as a service infrastructure play. Exactly, yeah, so we, as I say, we don't want to be seen on those embedded finance bankers as a service plays. We'd rather be invisible yeah. um, and let the fintechs, our partners, own that relationship and we do what we do very well and execute the payments, the foreign exchange behind it, all of that banking infrastructure. So what's kind of been the big challenge? You know, you've transitioned over into the UK, you talked about getting in line with the regulatory APIs as well as your premium APIs. We've talked through where you think mm -hmm. all of this could go. What, what's been the big kind of challenge over the course of the last year or two? You know, maybe you've seen both sides of that table with Access and then Golden as well. Yeah, and it's been, for me, it's been interpreting regulation and also 
how, depending on where you are. Now, fortunately, before now, I was only having to deal with the UK. As we now expand as a, as a bank into Europe and beyond, the regulation is always slightly different. Yeah. And even in the UK, it's changing, right? So initially, it started from the main regulation of PSD2. Then it got put into the PSR. Yeah. And then all the tweaks start to happen. Yeah. And we've been really fortunate that we've had the Open Banking Implementation Entity giving us the guidelines, giving us all of that stuff, the standards. But then the regulation and the guidelines sometimes don't quite tie in together. Having that, actually having those guidelines is a bit of an obstacle at times because, mm. and you probably you probably experienced it yourself, in having to go through all those steps just while building an app or whilst building a user experience, yeah. they're not that optimal. And you're like, this could be done so much better. Yeah. We, more, you'd probably have more adoption if things were slicker, but having that framework was a good starting point. And now it's trying to, how do we get past that? How do we sort of like say, thank you for the help. We're there now, let's, let's go beyond that and use competition, use the mm -hmm. market to help drive better user experience and better adoption. I think one of the biggest challenges, aside from regulation, is really on, we're a bit hamstrung by those standards to delivering a greater user experience and getting greater user adoption. But the challenge is also an opportunity. That's 100%. 100%. What gets you kind of fired up? So, you know, getting, getting animated about the regulator here. What is it that gets you, you know, so excited, both as an entity and yeah. as an individual around the open banking space? I, I love I love challenges and fixing problems. Cool. So, product manager. Yeah, exactly, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I started out with ops, and the thing that I used to do, what I used to love doing is just like finding better ways of doing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I couldn't create a new system, there was no budget or anything, it was just like, okay, well, how, what are we doing now? What are we trying to achieve and how do we do things better, more streamlined, smarter? Um, and at one point I became known as a fixer. I thought, is that a good thing? I'm, I'm not sure if that is a good thing, but hey, if, something, if there's a problem that needs solving, I'll find a way of doing it within the current infrastructure, you know, within the rules. And so, Taking that and saying, okay, well, what can we do here? Now it's, that's the beauty of being in the role that I am at the moment with TXP is we've got this framework. Okay, yes, it's not ideal, but it's, it's a good start. Yeah. I'm working with customers. I'm working with corporates who we want to adopt this technology. More corporates that adopt it, therefore more consumers adopt. And we, we, we understand the problems. You and I understand them because we are consumers. Um, so we know what is a pain point and what's not. And speaking to customers really helps us to understand, okay, what are their individual pain points? Taking those pain points, taking the existing infrastructure, the rules or the requirements, and saying, well, here's a solution that we could build now, today, but also going, and here's a solution that we would build if we had, you know, if we had variable recurring payments, which yeah. was something that's been touted for goodness knows how long. So, so I've, I've been delayed. Yeah. And so with that, there are solutions which were, you know, I designed a year ago, Two years ago, which are there waiting, ready for the 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 market the regulation to catch up. Then we can go bang, let's go. You've got the a market leading proposition. The technology now supports this, yeah. and you're ready to go. And you've got that first mover advantage. So it's it's really problem solving within the confines of well, you don't have a budget or you don't have the ability to change the regulation. So what can you do? Yeah, that's what that's what fires me up. That's why I'm not a. a I guess that's why I'm not an inventor, because I don't create anything new. I take what's already there and I try and, I try and find it. Yeah, exactly, I try and find, find the, um, the solution. So you talked about kind of horizon then, I suppose. You know, what's, it's not necessarily today, but tomorrow and the day after. Um, 
and your work seems to span not just bank but merchant, designer, vendor, yeah. biller, whatever you want to call them, as well as consumer, whether it's SME or you know, us as individuals. Across those three, what do you see as the kind of big three open banking use cases? I mean, it doesn't have to be all three, <laughs> but interested to get your thoughts on, you know, you talked about, okay, we've got a good solution, a baseline mm -hmm. today, a use case for making open banking more seamless for a customer or just better all around for a financial institution in terms of how they optimize. Yeah, and I think with, I say I think a lot, <laughs> okay, from my point of view, the, the, the key one is to be able to have point of sale with using open banking. Okay. So if we can go into the shop and we already pay on our phone, yeah. why don't we pay on our phone and it just be an open banking push payment? There's, there is no reason why not. Um, if, we think, if we go back to when cards introduced chip and pin, previously it was, I believe, a swipe on the magnetic strip. We then introduced a, an obstacle which was chip and pin, but it improved security and people actually liked it. Yeah. Beyond that, we said, okay, well, then we went back to a contactless, yeah, where we're not using chip and pin. Would you say it was a, a step down in, uh, in security? Probably a little bit, but chip and pin was a, a huge success. To now say, okay, we've got open banking, we could use NFC, point of sale terminals, to go and pay on our phone. I think that's a huge use case. Not having to go through your banking app to approve it, to do all of that other stuff, would be really beneficial. But do we need it? I mean, there's, we've got Apple Pay. Um, we, know, have, we have, we have, and I think that, that, that's that's a, it's a fair point. As consumers, we go, well, I already pay with my phone, and it's Apple Pay, or it's, it's yeah, GPay, okay. whatever it is, who cares? But behind the scenes, it's a it's all the card rails. And why are the card rails there? Because ultimately, the merchant who's, who's receiving those funds are paying, they're losing money every time we pay by card. Yeah. They don't receive those funds immediately. So yeah, exactly. So so they, they could receive those funds up to five, ten days later in worst case scenarios. A lot of these merchants are small. Right? They are small businesses themselves, they might be sole traders. Why are we penalizing those guys and rewarding the for the card schemes ultimately? Yeah. It makes no sense. We can change that as consumers and we can say, well actually, I'm gonna pay by open banking. It might take me one more you know, it might take me my fingerprint or my face to, to approve that payment. That's good for security. Yeah. And I now know that the you know, the end the merchant will receive those funds immediately and they'll receive all of them. Because our banks today, fortunately, don't charge us for making push payments in the UK. And so therefore the merchant will receive they might receive a charge for receiving a faster payment, but they'll receive all of the funds. Um, so that that is the ultimate for me, that's the ultimate potential use case value proposition going forward and that becomes a lot slicker with variable recurring payments Yeah. because if I can say I always go to this coffee shop, I pop that in, I put the details in, every time I pay that's fine, it's within the, the variable amount, it's within my overall amount and therefore no need for me to. This is AppTap's dream, really. <laughs> getting, getting variable recurring payments up and running is is like our golden child. That wasn't that was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, just dropped it on my plate. Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's something that we're quite excited by, and <clears throat> I think you know merchants who are who are billing on a recurring mm -hmm. basis as well should be quite excited by. You get someone blocking a card payment, and next thing you know they're getting chargebacks and having to deal with what's the word I'm looking for, challenging that. Yeah, the, it's that the whole recourse as well, isn't it? Of 
of these these failed payments. The other side of that is it gives more power to the consumers as well, as in if we had the the request to pay element of that where yeah. where people yeah. are charging, then me as a, an individual, if I say, if I see actually I don't want to, you know, I want to cancel that subscription now. Yeah. It's a lot simpler. Yeah, yeah. I can, just, I can just cancel that at the end of it, no more. Where do you think BMPL slots into all this? Oof. Curveball. I know, right? Yeah. This, this wasn't on the list. Um, look, I, I think it's it's a form of credit, right? The, uh, no way around it. It's a form of credit. Mm. Uh, but I do think that, I think Klarna have just released their, their card where you can now go in store and pay. <laughs> it's just like... And pay on this. It's a credit card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is a credit card, and you're paying in three installments rather than whenever you want the standard minimum payments, etc. Mm -hmm. Where does it fit into all of this? I do think you could you could slot it in there, right? But it, it's just going to be a, as I say, it's it's a credit agreement at the end of the day. There's no reason why I couldn't have a an app using using VRP using anything like that, where I could do the same example of pay at uh, the, the pay at terminal. The point of sale terminal where I could do it on my phone using um, open banking payments and have buy now pay later. The first payment is always taken from card. Yeah. Put it in there, okay, it pulls that. Why why are we not just pulling that? Why is that not just a, a simple I put my fingerprint on there and you're going to take that money from or I push that money to you from my account and then the request to pay comes later. It's thirty days later or it's two weeks depending on which which yeah, uh, vendor you're talking yeah. to, yeah. And then you can approve that or not. Again, it's more power to the consumer, and it stops those companies from just pulling funds on a two-weekly basis or one-monthly basis from the consumer. And I think any piece of consumer protection we can put in there is a good thing. And so, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it's a balance, right? Because we we talked about like who cares if it's half a bit. Yeah. Right? From a consumer's perspective, you know, for me, if I'm having to re-authenticate Netflix every month, that's mm -hmm. gonna be real annoying agreed you know those are the kind of things I'd, be, I'd rather be aware that I'm paying those mm -hmm. things but I, I'm not here to every 30 days be like yes yes fine otherwise I just you know buy movies again <laughs> <laughs> bring that blockbuster yeah, yeah exactly so I think you know does it matter whether or not individuals really know what open banking is and maybe there's a, a wider yeah. question here I don't think it matters that they know what open banking is I think the tools that open banking and the infrastructure that Open Banking is providing and can provide is really important to the consumer. Um, I'll go back to the example um, of, I think it was the, the bank account switch service. I still have that old bank account, yeah. like I said uh, <laughs> at the beginning, but nobody used to ever change. This, this whole, we all have these neo banks, we all have the app, that wasn't a thing. I don't have a traditional that, bank. Do you know? No. There we go. Do you switch? Have you switched between providers as of yet? Or have you always stuck stuck with one? So I grew, I grew up in Scotland, mm -hmm. and I had say a, a legacy Scottish bank yeah. that recently got acquired. And when I so I moved to the US and I came back to the UK, my American bank started trying to charge me for a current account. I was, you know, living in the UK. I was like, what would I be paying for yeah. a current account? So close that. Open like a Chime account in the states, and then. Yeah, kind of landing here is like, well, you know, Monza, it makes sense. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't I just do everything on an app? And my Scottish bank just didn't even have a mobile app. Oh, wow. So I was like, I'm out. <laughs> went into their, went into their, into a branch, which was like the last two or three in, in, in England. Because they were, I mean, they were 
you know, steadily shutting yeah, yeah. down, let's say. And it's like, I want to take all of my money out mm -hmm. right now. I want you to transfer it to this account. Like, well, we can't do that. Yes, you can. Yeah. Of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing with the building society. My parents had like set one up. Yeah. It's a bit of a long story, but anyway, kind of ended up with like a small sum of money, put that into a building society savings account, and at the end of university, I was like, well, I'm just going to go blow that for a bit of fun. And you can't take all the money out. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've always been a little bit disenfranchised, but the more traditional ones, I'm very much a challenger, a challenger man. And so, would you switch from your current one from Monzo to another, another challenger? I use them all. So I've got okay. accounts with them all, and maybe that's more a market research thing than it's yeah. a, as a user thing. I don't want to... Speak freely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I think there are pros and cons to each. Yeah. I think what, strategically, with the likes of like Revolut are doing, mm -hmm. probably more in line with what you were talking about yeah. in terms of this kind of consolidation. I think that's quite exciting. Starling's gone down the kind of more B2B yeah. business banking route. I think, you know, and speaks quite clearly around that. And for me, I'm a, I'm a Monzo user primarily, and you know I was kind of blown away by the user experience at first, and then it's like, okay, so what comes next? Yeah. And now it's you know all of them, whether it's the big those big three or, or the others are all like, well, we'll charge you now for a premium account, which I'm just like, well, so let me let me go go get a Barclays account. So that exactly that's the bit where I I lost faith in in Monzo, to be honest with mm. you was because of the open banking element when I saw that they were using this as oh you can view all of your accounts if you upgrade to this premium set I was like what? Oh, I've built, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, built an exactly. app that does that for free. But there you go, there you go, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bonkers. I was yeah. thinking well, I don't need you, I don't need to pay you to do that, I could just go elsewhere. Um, and that, the, uh, that's, that's the thing uh, and now the incumbents are catching up Mm. Okay, so you've got the, the, the large players who now all have apps, who have got pretty decent notifications. Yeah. You can like track. IBM and Salesforce building. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 you're right. You can track and you have to use their keyboard. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? All of my references are awful. But with that, it's. I'm now like, what, yeah, what's next? What can they do to keep me engaged? Because I went from using uh, my Monzo account quite a lot. To be like, ah, I now get a pretty similar level of service from the app from the incumbent. So I, I kind of want something to say, here's what's new, here's what's flashy. Yeah. But I, I don't expect to pay for if it's my bank, I don't expect to pay for it because I'm going to be paying for everything else. I'm going to be using them for my travel, I'm going to be using them for all payments. Everything's going to be and they'll have my they'll have my deposit as well. Yeah. And so there they are making money from this somewhere. Somewhere. They don't need to pay me a subscription. They don't need to charge me a subscription, sorry. Um, I think they're a better way of doing yeah. it. Well, it seems like they do. So just kind of thinking about wrapping up very shortly, what's open banking as a concept? I like, there's a kind of two or three questions throughout this I try and ask everyone. Success or failure? Mm -hmm. Right now, today, what would you say? Success. Success Common in, theme. Yeah, in that it set the groundwork it's at the foundations. Mm. It would need to. We need to build upon this. We've got the banks engaged now, whether they were forced to or, or not. They're they're now <laughs> engaged. They're at the table. Now there is a two way two way dialogue between fintech and bank. I think that's really important. Do you think there's a kind of an oversaturation of, of fintech into bank though? Because I mean, everyone and their mother is starting the fintech and is like, oh, I'm going to work with financial. I mean, me included, right? I want to work, <laughs> work with financial institutions because it's. 
good distribution. There's trust in there, and you know, I can, I think I can bring some cool products mm-hmm. to their, you know, into their offering. Do you think we're getting to like that kind of like saturation point? Is there still a lot to come? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I do. I do. Ultimately, I think, as I say, the cream rises to the top. Mm. But it will. The the winners in this will be those that have got the the customer front and center, and that their their value propositions aligned perfectly with the, the problem statements of the customers. Very yeah. much talk. I apologize. No. But <laughs> I. You know, those those are the, the fintech players that will win in this. What I would hate to see is when big tech just copies or buys it might work in your favour copies or buys the, the ideas of you know, smaller businesses with, and, then stri- and then strips them off of what they yeah. were delivering in the first place mm-hmm. almost as a way to keep the, the monopoly in play um, I'd love it if the, the smaller fintechs like yourselves are able to deliver upon your solutions and keep keep who you are at your core mm. and keep the customers there as well and always strive to you know, have the customer front and centre. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's it's interesting we saw like MasterCard buy Vocalink and then Visa try and buy Plaid and it was yeah. like and yeah I think MasterCard MasterCard bought Finicity who yeah. is a Plaid yeah. competitor. Either way. So just wrapping up what what comes next for you, what comes next for Goldman TXB? Yeah so we are moving into Europe in July, so yep. we go live in Frankfurt and in Amsterdam. Just around the corner. Just around the corner, exactly. Right after my paternity, like very strategically, <laughs> very strategically placed in oh. there. Um, <laughs> Don't have to deal with any of the setup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just be back for the fun. Exactly. So with that, we are you know, we're working with our clients, working with partners to understand what are the opportunities in in Europe. We're already there. We've been we've been looking at the opportunities for mm-hmm. some time now. Yeah. More importantly, is that the open banking framework in Europe is a bit different to the UK in that there are certain countries where it's more accepted that you make push payments to pay for stuff rather mm-hmm. than using cards. I think what we're going to see is in some jurisdictions within Europe, they're going to start taking the lead in some of these value propositions where they don't have the strict framework of an open banking entity, implementation entity, okay. and then the UK starting to follow where we've always been the trendsetters for open banking. Interesting. And we might see a, a bit of a shift in that paradigm yeah. where we start to see innovations crop up in, in the Netherlands, in France, and we start to think, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't be so rigid in our approach because competition is good and we don't want Europe to you know, be the hub of that innovation. So mm. hopefully that will see a bit more. Yeah, maybe there's some scarring on that. I don't think they really meant for open banking, the OBIE, to be such a behemoth. Agree, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Whereabouts can we find you if people want to reach out or if they want to check out what you're building? Yeah, sure. I mean, you'll, you'll get me on LinkedIn. Winston Pearson. I think I'm still classed as the innovator. <laughs> on the innovator. There. I used to have the URL where if you search LinkedIn really? da, 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 and it was the innovator, I would appear. So I need to check whether that's still in place. First thing I'm doing. <laughs> when we wrap up. First thing I'm doing. Um, yeah, or you can get me out on my email, which is winston.pearson.gf.com. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in again to another episode of FinTech Walkabout, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.